You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning, and we're going to turn in our Bibles. You can turn again to the book of Philippians chapter 4, where we have been for the past few weeks here, really. Philippians chapter 4, and I'll welcome those that are joining us online. You're not there, you're not in the camera, but we are kind of doing this, the message at least, live streaming uh, through here for those that are sick at home or need to stay home for various reasons, so we thought we'd we try that again, so um, welcome to you as you're joining us from there. Um, as you make your way to Philippians 4, and specifically verses 10 through 20, um, we come to week number 3 in our class, right? Needs 101. We're on week number 3, our last week really here, although our needs continue, don't they? But God's supply continues even more so. Week one, the lesson was on contentment, which we defined freedom from want, and ultimately we can be content and at rest in any circumstance through Christ who strengthens us. And then last week we looked at this horizontal relationship of meeting each other's needs to give sacrificially in concern uh, for others and to rejoice then when others give because it's bearing gospel fruit. I've got a picture up here. I think we have it from uh, Elisha Mayo from last week. I don't think she's with us this week, but she drew this and turned it in along with with other faithful ones that draw uh, for us each week. The fruit of the Spirit, we brought that up. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, grace, uh, gracefulness she's got in there, gentleness, self-control, different blurbs of people talking, thank you, I'm so grateful, I think, for you, you're nice, these sorts of things. We talked about so many of those. They're not just meant to be internal, but they affect relationships, they affect one another. And the way here that the Philippians affected Paul was to show concern for him. And he's glad to see fruit bearing in their lives. appreciate Elisha sharing that with us last week. So now this week we come... And we are getting close to the end of Philippians, aren't we? It's not, not too much longer. If you're like, okay, can we move on? There's, there's some more to get. And uh, today's a bit one of those days. I wish you know, I had an hour or so to speak, but it's probably good for, us to, for me to narrow down and, and help us look at just even the last two verses here. That's going to be our focus. But let me again start at verse 10, give the context as we roll into verse 19 and 20 today. So here's God's word. Again, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray once again for us. Lord, would you guide our time as we gather together around your word? What a privilege it is to be together as saints today, to share a meal together later on, to gather right now to feast on your word. And I pray that's what we would do. Lord, guide these these words, these thoughts as we seek to understand just these two verses Lord, grant understanding. Grant us to test and examine what is said. Father, guide me by your Spirit to exalt you. So may you be the exalted one, our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, whom we will worship forever, whom we owe all to, who reigns forever. May we worship you now as we we read, listen, think on your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I want to get right into the passage, verse 19 in particular, and ask a big, looming question facing us right in this passage. Sometimes I begin with maybe a story or a question for you. This is right from the passage. What, and here's the question, what does it mean that God will supply every need of yours? This is a really big promise. It's a big statement, right? Perhaps we look around at our life and say all of my needs don't look like they're met. My car's broken down, right? My finances, they're tight. Or that prayer that I've been praying for years, it seems unanswered. Or I need a better job. I need a better house. It's falling apart. I need better relationships, so on and so forth. And here it says God will supply every need? That's the question before us. What does it mean? God's going to supply every need. So we head back to the text and the context with it, right? What's around here? And as the Spirit would guide, we want to think on this, this wonderful promise. So starting again, verse 19, I'll just read the verse for And my God, Paul says, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, one way to answer a question of what it means that God's going to supply every need of yours comes from some commentary here, some commentators who say, Paul, he only has in mind right here the physical needs of the Philippians. That's what he's got in mind. And I think this is somewhat based on, you don't have to go there, but 2 Corinthians 8 and, oh man, 8, 9, 10, uh, maybe 10, 11, 12, just parallel and as great for, for a bigger context even on this verse. But in 2 Corinthians 8, it talks about the, uh, it says there that the churches of Macedonia, which Philippi was a part of those Macedonian churches, They gave according to their means, and then it says, and beyond their means. So there's some reasonable speculation here. One commentator, Ralph Martin, he suggests this. 
that, quote, the Philippians had helped the apostle to their own impoverishment. So they've helped Paul. They've given beyond what they really could give to survive on, maybe, in a, in a way of saying that. So we might suppose here the Philippians have given sacrificially to Paul, and now in return, verse 19, there's, there's some sort of reassurance that though you have given sacrificially, God will supply all your needs. Now, I think there's some validity to this outlook, to that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says there, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also, or yeah, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. One of my favorite texts in Malachi, Old Testament, Malachi 3.10, we find these words, and they're, they're addressed to a people that were not giving the full tithe to God. And it, it says this in Malachi 3.10, God says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Those who give also see God provide for them at the same time. Have you, have you seen that in your own life? Giving sacrificially and then watching God. He provides in ways you never saw coming. Hannah is prone to remind me in our marriage sometimes when I want to skimp and go, you know, we don't have to give this there or we could save money here. And the words are, you cannot outgive God. Right? You may have heard that phrase before. And in our own family, we've seen God provide again and again when we've given what was beyond comfortable. I challenge you today even. Consider giving not, not out of our abundance, I've got this extra, but out of your poverty. And watch God provide. However, or but, this is a big one, right? There's a danger, isn't there? And what I just said, we can kind of, we can make a contract with God, right? I, oh, oh, this sounds good. What, you mean I get a return? Okay, I'll give this, but Lord, I'm watching you because you better increase my return, right? TV evangelists, they're great for this. Send this in, right? And watch the blessings and the blessings will come, come back to you. Now, there's some truth. It looked like Malachi, 2 Corinthians, some truth in the blessing and giving, yes, but in this case of kind of desiring back from God, we just treat God like kind of a glorified 401k plan or a glorified stock we can purchase. I'll give, but the return better be better than what I'm getting. We kind of hold this contractual. Rather than understanding that this is the Lord of the universe, we owe, we're just saying it all to you. Lord, whatever we're holding back and saving, it's all yours. You own it all. We're not on a contract with the Lord. We're to give sacrificially, cheerfully, 2 Corinthians, right? For God's glory and work, not for our benefit. Even though we see time and again, God provides, meets needs. So, one, I think something here can be said. You can't outgive God. He's going to provide even physically for the Philippians. But then we face just this persistent question. Well, what about those believers who, who are poor? 
who are persecuted for the faith, who are believers that, that die in tragedy. Does that negate this verse we've got before us? God's going to supply every need of yours. Doesn't seem like God met their needs, but thankfully, contextually, there's a second part to this verse, isn't there? We've got to keep reading. So 19 says, we've just looked at the first part, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What does the according to convey here? What's the thought in this according to? It conveys the means. The, this is how these needs are met. It's a how statement, how something's done. And in this case, it's how does God, how does he meet every need? The answer is it's according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And once again, we find in this book, the great meter of our needs is Christ Jesus. Our needs are connected to the riches of Jesus Christ. So how do we understand this? First, just the context of the passage itself is, I think, informative for us. Look at verse 12 again. Best back up there. Uh, here's, here's what Paul says. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So here's a verse, right? Our verse today, we're going to verse 19. But here, this God that supplies all our needs, yet what does Paul continue to have? Needs, right? In fact, he faced huge obstacles and trials throughout his life as an apostle. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul recounts there some of this. So here you've got Paul. This is Paul writing, my God's going to meet every need. And here in 2 Corinthians 11, here's what his life looked like. Out of anybody to say, you know, I'm going to write this, but maybe you shouldn't take it all the way. Here's what, here's what 2 Corinthians 11. He recounts he labored. He was imprisoned. He was beat up near death, stoned, shipwrecked. Not once, three times, he says. He's adrift at sea, danger in rivers from robbers, his own people, Gentiles. Uh, danger, I think he's saying, in the city and wilderness, at sea and from false brothers, in toil, hardship, sleepless nights, hungry, thirsty, often without food, in cold and exposure, and the daily pressure of the churches. Does this sound like God was supplying all his needs? How can Paul say this? Because for Paul to live is Christ. We see it again and again. You, you remember Maslow? Am I saying it right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Remember, remember the, the triangle and you've got the, higher, the needs at the bottom. Uh, basic needs, I think food, water, clothing, shelters in there. I don't know which place it is, but it, it eventually grows up to the top where, where you meet all the needs and you're self-actualized, this sort of thing. Remember that? God has a different hierarchical structure. Needs of food and water and clothing, they are important for this life, but they're not, they're not ultimate, to, to say a familiar phrase. The, these are important things. We're going to look at Jesus dealing with them, but they're not ultimate. Our ultimate need is God himself. Familiar passage. 
Uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about needs there, not being anxious. He says our, our greatest need, though, is not food or water or clothes. Here's what Jesus says in part. I'm, I'm reading Matthew 6, 31 through 33 here. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's not saying God just says don't deal with that. He knows you need those. But verse 33 says, But, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Our greatest need is to seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. And God in His gracious love, according to His riches in Christ, has provided a Savior to bring us to Himself. Earthly needs, they're temporary. God is eternal. So here's the test. And and I know we can't live physically without these things, but here's the test for us. The question, would you rather, this is a would you rather question, all right? Would you rather have food and water and clothing, all your needs are met, no worries. You got all, everything's met. Yet die without having God. Or would you rather face starvation, thirst, and the elements, but ultimately have God Himself? Kind of cuts what's our greatest, what do we see as our greatest need? And I'm just, along with probably some of you, going, my, my needs to get through that. I want a good day. I want to get through this day, do it right, all, all these sorts of things. Have, do we have enough food? All those sorts of things. Do we know God? And we know Paul here. We know from this book he would rather have God. And so Paul can say he's content in need because in Christ he's got all he needs. In fact, he can be content in hunger. So I don't think Paul's inferring here that God's uh, will supply bread for our physical needs at every turn. I think we're provided for. He cares for us. We don't need to worry. There's something greater, and God's rich supply is a greater supply. It's living water. It's the bread of life. It's a kingdom that won't fail. It's a risen Savior who reigns today as King forever. Our greatest need is Jesus, even though the hunger pains are real. The thirst can be desperate and so on. Remember the the woman at the well in John 4? She heard these words from Jesus when He said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Our flesh is dead in sin and transgressions. All have sinned. We need life. And that's what Jesus offers. Eternal life, lasting peace, lasting joy in the presence of God forever. Even just from reading this this book of Philippians, if we asked 
According to Paul, what's the surpassing worth? What, what would Paul answer? What's the surpassing worth? Is it being fed a feast? Does Paul want a roof over his head? Right? Getting a drink of water. All these are necessary things for us to live here on earth. But to Paul, remember Philippians 3.8, the surpassing worth to Paul. It's like fixated on one thing, and it's knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We need him foremost. All the other things of earth go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, as the song would say. So the brother or sister that has Christ has all they need in him. Perhaps Psalm 23.1 in the New Living Translation sums it up the best. My niece one time, I think, wrote this down, and, and uh, I still have it somewhere in my office. I don't know if it's up right now, but she put this down from Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. The riches, the riches are that whether by life or death, hunger and need, I am Christ and he is mine. If I have my needs met only temporarily and have not Christ, what happens? I still die and I face an eternity of torment and pain. But if I'm hungry now for a bit, I'm thirsty now for a bit, but I have Christ, I have all I need. No matter what, life or death, if I have Christ, I've got it all. And so verse 20 then concludes this section. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is, verse 20 is really the response of praise, isn't it? For the infinite provision of God in Christ to us as poor sinners. All the glory goes to God for his provision. This is the Lord of glory who's encouraged Paul through the saints at Philippi. Think of all these different things we've been looking at the past three weeks. He's been encouraged through the saints who were concerned they had no opportunity. God provided an opportunity. Now they've shared in his trouble. They've borne gospel fruit in their care for him, supplying him well with a sacrificial offering of their gifts. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of their supply and meeting his needs, God supplied through his people. Paul still says, I'm content no matter what. If I'm hungry, I'm content. I can do this through my Savior, Jesus. He's free to rest, can relax, enjoy the process. It's not himself, it's not the Philippians or anything present, past, future, earthly circumstances that brings him contentment but Christ alone, and he gives Paul strength to endure all things. If you look at the context of his life and the conclusion of verse 19 going into 20, God supplies our every need through the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so the concluding, the the admonition here, it's, it's emphasized... In the original language, there's no real verb here. It's just literally glory to our God and Father forever and ever. Do we believe that? As laborers who have faith in Christ, do we believe our needs are met in Christ? Why don't you turn? Let's do that. Let's look at this. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. 
In my study, I was steered over to this passage, and I think it's a fitting way for us to think in conclusion of these needs and, and uh, of God meeting them in our lives through Christ. Romans 8 is going to be a familiar passage. Again, comment, I love when Scripture comments on Scripture and we, and we see how it works in God's uh, word here. But Romans 8, 31, and I'll read through 39, this great promise of God. Romans eight thirty one says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then some questions. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. Right? Verse 37. No. In all these things. And I'll admit at the moment they don't look like happy things, do they? Famine, danger, nakedness, sword. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you feeling charged? God who justifies, right? Who shall bring any charge? God justifies us in Christ by His shed blood on the cross. Are you feeling condemned? Jesus intercedes. That's what this passage... Who is Jesus Christ is the one who died. He intercedes for us on our behalf before God and we don't face God's condemnation. Are you feeling separated from God? This passage, nothing will separate us from God's love in Christ. God's rich supply is in Christ who loved us, died for us, and reigns forevermore that we might forever be with Him. Whether now we face hunger or thirst or whatever it's going to be, loss, suffering like the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our God is with us in Christ no matter what the situation, the famine, hunger, nakedness, danger, or sword. And so we can be content and so all glory to God and Father. Let me pray for us. Father, I would guess that our struggle at times, perhaps even now, is just to say, well, yeah, that, that sounds great, but I, I'd really like to be fed. 
and I'm really thirsty or whatever else the need is. Lord, if those needs bring us closer to you, which you work all things together for good, for those who love you, who've been called according to your purpose, then we trust even in famine, danger, nakedness, and sword that you are doing a good work and you are meeting our needs in Christ Jesus. That when we see this world fails us and does not satisfy with any length, it's so quick. The best meal, the best dessert, the best experience on earth is just short. It's temporary. The joy in your presence lasts forever. And we are secured in that place by the riches of a loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you glory, praise, and honor. Lord, may we seek no, nothing higher. May, we, may our lives be filled with no other little G-type gods but you alone. We ask you strengthen us to give you glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.